1: absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness because one purchased equals one donated wow did we just write an ad yes
2: Bombas big comfort for everyone go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase
0: hi I'm Zivi Owens and you're listening to moms don't have time to read books this 30 minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year, for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zippy Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now, and you can check it out on ZibiBooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zippy Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zippymag.com. We have classes at zippyclasses.com, And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zippy's Bookshop Catherine is an internationally bestselling author and podcaster living in Whitstable, UK. Her hybrid memoir, Wintering, The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times, became a New York Times, Sunday Times, and Dare Spiegel bestseller and was adapted as BBC Radio's BBC Radio 4's Book of the Week and was shortlisted for The Porchlight and Barnes & Noble Book of the Year. I also interviewed Catherine about her book Wintering, so you can go back and listen to our first episode. The Electricity of Every Living Thing, her memoir of a midlife autism diagnosis, was adapted as an audio drama by Audible. Catherine lives with her husband, son, two cats, and a dog. She loves walking, sea swimming, and pickling slightly unappealing things. Welcome, Catherine. Thanks so much for coming back on Mom's End of Time to Read Books to discuss enchantment, awakening wonder, and an anxious age.
3: Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be
0: back. Actually, this is perfect because in Divi's bookshop, we just started a new shelf. We had a an opening in the celebrate who you are section. And there were all these different identity categories, like, you know, Jewish, LGBTQ. And we had one left and I was like, how about anxious? Because like that oh, is how,
2: yes. <laughs> that's how I identify.
3: <laughs> that's a whole identity. Yeah. I know I'm not allowed to interview interview you, but I'd love to know what it's like to have a bookstore. Does it feel really good?
0: Oh my gosh. It's the coolest thing ever. It's so fun. Oh, I, I like that. It's just to sit in there and then people come over and they're like, which books should I buy? And, I'm, and they show me a couple in a <laughs> row and I'm like, this is the most fun I've ever had. Somebody oh, yesterday yeah. came over with four books. She's like, I can only buy two. And one of the books was a hundred years of solitude. I'm like, you have uh, to, you have to read that. What are you
2: talking about? <laughs>
3: I think it's every writer's dream, isn't it? Just to have like a ho- basically a house of books, yes, and you get to roam through them and show them to people. I mean, that's just ideal. It is. It is amazing. I should have
0: like a residency where somebody gets to just sit there every day, like an author, and just come in and like be the person to recommend <laughs> books. I think I'll do. I think I have to figure out a way to start that. You can be you our first.
3: Should. You can be but, our first fellow. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? We'd all get emotional. We'd just be sitting there crying. <laughs> it
0: would
2: be really embarrassing. <laughs>
0: Well, actually, this is, this is uh, you know, apropos of some of the things you write about in Enchantment, which is that for a while you were having trouble reading at all. And you, you brought this up at the beginning and then it sort of courses through the book until it culminates in this beautiful chapter on your inability to read. So talk a little bit about that and what that experience is like and are you over it at this point?
3: Yeah, that felt like a dark confession when I was writing <laughs> the book because I thought, God, can I can I actually say this to the to the literary people? What would they think of me? But it it does seem that that happened to a lot of people, like either during the pandemic or afterwards, in in the kind of aftermath when everyone when the burnout began to set in. And I, yeah, I just found that I couldn't turn my attention to a book; it was just constantly glancing off, and I. At the same time, I'd lost that desire that I ordinarily feel towards pretty much any book. You know? <laughs> that kind of that sense that there were all these different things that I w- I was desperate to read, and that had gone, and it felt like such a a change to me, and so empty and desolate. And I I really had to take a step back and think very hard about how to reconnect with that with that desire rather than the habit because the habit had gone and I did realize that I think over time my reading had become more about obligation quite often rather than passion you know and I, I think that happens to a lot of us in the industry that we get loads of proof sent through and we want to help everyone and we want to keep up with our industry but we forget to do the, the reading that is like soul drenching. And and also the reading that's just fun. And I I desperately needed to get back to that.
0: Well, it was it was nice to see because you don't often see in a book when someone's like, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, now I'm on Twitter, now I'm checking the news, here I am back on Instagram. And you you feel vindicated because you are actually reading this in a book. So you're <laughs> the reader. It's like, oh well, I you know, I get that I've been there, but look, I've triumphed over that enough to just read the words that are on this page.
3: It's like a very meta experience. <laughs> It's a way of complimenting the reader. It's like you're reading the book that I couldn't manage to read myself at the moment. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, hopefully it makes people feel good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we talked about this just for a second, but I, I really feel your writing, I mean, not that I feel this, this is like fact, but your writing is just so incredibly beautiful and poetic and each sentence and each analogy, each everything, everything is just so carefully thought out or it seems oh, carefully I, thought I, out. I, and, and it makes you think about things in a new way, even like the scorched pages of the burnout and, and just the I way mean. you, you write about that in such a, you know, sensory way, which also is interesting because you talk in the book about uh, your late, late in life autism diagnosis and sort of overstimulation mm-hmm. of senses and and balancing all that. And yet in the writing, it's so sensory. So I don't know, maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe that's, a, a, I don't know, maybe they're related.
3: Yeah. I mean, that, that uh, could be true. I mean, I think there's a there's a kind of ledger for me, you know. Anything that I give out, it, it takes off somewhere else, and I, I know mine is very sensitive compared to other people. And and like maybe, well, I say maybe. I know this for a fact that all the best part of me flows into my writing, and it often does leave very little left for other things. To be honest, like that's, I've I've spent myself on on the writing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but then you also say in the book this this very sad. This very sad part where you were younger and you threw out all your writing, which like kind of broke my heart. Here, let me, can I read this little section? (laughs) Yeah, please. Um, Yeah. They were, first you talk about how people found it cute when you said, a poet, eh? The adults would say, raise their eyebrows. I knew they were laughing at me, but it was friendly enough. Everyone enjoys a little pomposity in the prepubescent. It's adorably (laughs) naive. And they figured that life will knock it out of you soon enough. (laughs) (laughs) And then people start laughing at you. And then uh, you said, I'd like to pretend that this is the point I decided to nurture my ambitions in secret, biding my time until I could burst forth into a kinder world where people understood me. Instead, I stopped writing. I took all my beautiful notebooks filled with turquoise inked poems. Okay. I regret the turquoise now and bound them up with sticky tape, wrapping it around and around like a spider interring a fly. They were humiliating things, and I wanted to make sure nobody else could read them. I kept them on my shelf like that for a while, wondering if I'd be tempted to cut them open and take back my poems. I never did. After a while, when my connection to them felt sufficiently severed, I threw them away, burying them deep in the kitchen bin, underneath the greasy butter wrappers and vegetable peelings. I can still remember the relief I felt. When the trash collectors came the following Monday and took them, they were irretrievably gone. I had pulled off the perfect murder, but they haunted me like revenants.
2: Oh, (laughs) that's just so good.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's gospel truth as well. I, I really thought I was done with writing and I, I really thought that I'd come to this very adult realization that writing was a silly thing to do. And I wanted to ditch the humiliation, you know, in the way that lots of teenagers will, I don't know, maybe try and get rid of the evidence of their early crushes, you know, their early early sort of embarrassing pop stars or something. I did that with my writing. I felt so ashamed of it. And I felt like I felt like I'd carried on being a child for a little too long. I think that was that was the, the that captures it the best, I guess. But then, of course, as I became an adult, I realised that all of my play lived there. That was how I played, and I'd lost play. I'd lost that—you know—that whole universe that I could step into to not just to rest, but to have that complex world woven around me. And I—and it was very hard to get it back. Then it was very hard. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: you even then it's you okay. say you, you say later you realize you said but then if i wasn't a writer what was i it felt mm-hmm. a lot like nothing
3: yeah. oh yeah well and, and i was you know i was one of those people i was the first generation in my family to go to university and i didn't really understand what university was for and and so i'd never thought further than the actual degree course you know so when I left university, I literally didn't know what to do next. I had no desire towards anything except that I kept thinking, "Oh, I'd like to write a book." And they're like, "No, we don't write books. Like, that's, <laughs> that's not what you do. That's not you know." And so, I I drifted around for ages, and eventually, I trained to be a teacher. And it was only when I finished my teacher training, I, I did like an on-the-job training where I was teaching while learning. But the person who assessed me said, "Okay, so what are you going to learn next? because you're in the habit of it now, you've studied really hard for two years. what are you what are you going to learn next? And that that's when I took a writing course.
0: Oh my gosh. Oh my
3: gosh!
0: <laughs> okay, I promise I'll stop just reading your beautiful words. But here was my here's the last sentence I'll read. Writing kept coming back to me, punching its way out of whatever grave I dug it. It loomed insistent at my window. It rattled my door. I just couldn't kill it. There was no silver bullet, no stake, no incantation that would slay it. Writing had plans for me, and my resistance was futile. Oh my god!
3: I'm like obsessed, obsessed. With <laughs> it may not surprise you that the first stuff I wrote was ghost stories.
0: (laughs) It's true. There is something very sort of haunting about a lot of your senses.
3: (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, but it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because on one hand, that, that chapter is about what happens when you deny a calling. Yes. And, it doesn't go well. Like you can't, you can't deny a calling. It does come back for you because it, and maybe that's a way to test if it's true. Mm -hmm. But also I think, Oh, I don't know how to say it. There's something in there about, um, maybe it wasn't so bad to burn all that stuff down in the first place. You know, like maybe, maybe that was okay. And I, I still burn down loads of my writing. I still, reject much more than I ever publish. And I think that experience of getting rid of all my teenage writing taught me that it's okay, that there's always something else to come back and, and that I actually can't stop it from coming back. So mm. it's ultimately, it's given me a kind of trust in in the abundance of creativity, I think. Well, that's also beautiful.
0: This is great. I'm just going to like sit here and listen to you all day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Have you ever done anything with the author Maggie Smith, the poet and author Maggie Smith? I feel yes. like have you had a conversation because I want to like go back and listen to it? I feel like the two of you have oh,
3: yes similar I did. Yeah, yeah. she was on my podcast about oh, maybe two years ago now, time flies really fast, maybe one year. Um, and of course she's completely wonderful, but actually she's coming back onto my book club in June. So I had to I had to get her back for her new memoir, which is incredible. Yeah.
0: so good. Oh my gosh. Yeah, okay. I well, I, I need to, I need to, I'm going to go back and I'll put in the show notes of this the episode <laughs> okay. of you two talking. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. There's something just so poetic and deeply soulful. Like the two of you kind of get it against the world, you know? I don't know. And the, the way you use words, both of you, in different ways, though. Very, you know, yeah. I feel like your sentences are I mean, more sparse,
3: you know, and you're more. Visual. yeah but anyway both yeah similar. yeah mine mine are much more baroque i think than hers yeah. um but she just she has this ability to capture the heart of something and then to cut right through doesn't she? And I, yeah she's she's an incredible writer amazing
0: well i was happy to see that by the end of enchantment you were reading braiding sweetgrass so i was like well this is good she's <laughs> yeah. back to reading
3: <laughs> i am i am for sure back to reading actually and i i do you know what brought it back was finishing that book <laughs> it's really funny <laughs> It was like, yeah, I was I was stuck in a place. And as soon as I closed those edits and it, it took out, you know, you you exhale when a book's finished because they're such a huge part of your psyche for the whole time that you're writing them. And, and there's always this sense of, oh maybe it's just me, but this sense of struggle with them. Not bad struggle, but you're, I, I feel like I wrestle them into place in lots of ways. And as soon as they're gone... I do a big exhale and in that exhale, the next thing that I wanted to know about came right into my head and I just started reading again. Wow. But it, it took longer for me to get back to fiction, I have to say. I I still struggled with fiction until maybe six months ago when I like got I just wanted to I wanted that state of mind again. But yeah, it really it really did feel like a huge block for me.
0: I feel like sometimes when I'm having trouble getting into fiction, I, I switch gears and read something really funny, like a really that funny That was exactly novel.
3: how it happened for me. Yes, that was exactly <laughs> it. Yeah, completely. I started asking people for funny novels because I I think one of the things that I've noticed about fiction in the last few years is it does get ever more serious mm-hmm. and... There's a, there's a missing gap for a, a bigger group of comic novels and satire and, and, you know, that kind of, that clever levity that tells you so much about society but makes you laugh with it. I, I don't think we're publishing enough of those at the moment. And so I started asking around and I, uh, yeah, I got to read a few and it just made me really happy. <laughs>
2: Well, I have to say, I
0: might have to selfishly send you this book that I, this novel that I just wrote that's coming out next April because it is like... Funny social satire and, and all of that. Cause I was like, I just want to write something that makes me laugh. And then I found this other book that I just finished. I don't know if you've read yet by Jane Roper. And I don't know why we're talking about other books. I'm sorry. But um, <laughs> uh, uh, Jane Roper's gonna- book, A Society of Shame, The Society of Shame. Have you read that? I haven't read it. No, I have not. No. Okay. It's coming out, I think, next week. But by the time this airs, it'll be out. But literally, I was crying laughing in the first chapter. I didn't even know it was supposed to be funny. I just like picked it up thinking it was whatever, another book. And then next thing you know, like I was laughing so hard, I had to read it out loud to my husband.
3: (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. I've written that down. And that's, I mean, I wonder if like part of the problem during pandemic lockdowns was that we lacked that recommendation, you know, that flow of, oh, I I love this. Have you read it? And pushing books into each other's hands and that the way that enthusiasm is contagious. Like I, I do think that hit me really hard. And I, I found that across my whole cultural life that I just didn't, care as much as I normally did and it it really affected me I think I feel like
0: the pandemic was the ultimate in robbing pleasure right it took away the yeah. pleasure that we got from all the things like and and like the perfect part of it is that it literally took away our sense of smell and taste which is the biggest yeah. sense of pleasure yeah. ever you know I mean yeah. I remember like trying to shove a cookie in my mouth when I had lost my sense of taste and I was like do I still eat it? I'm not getting any pleasure, but maybe my brain knows somewhere that it tastes good. <laughs>
3: it's And uh, that was, I don't think we're still talking enough about the losses that we experienced there. But I think in addition to all of that, we then got into a situation where we felt guilty for, for taking or receiving pleasure because we were so conscious about how much other people were suffering. Yep. And that made it hard too. That was a that was another layer on that that kind of great big block that that I felt for sure. Yeah, totally.
0: My goodness! In enchantment. And by the way, I wanted there to be in this cover, and I looked at it very closely. You can imagine me just like studying your cover, <laughs> like a moron your over here. <laughs> but I really wanted I wanted to find like peels of your grandmother's orange, sort of oh, hidden lovely. hidden in the design. <laughs>
3: I don't think they're there, but maybe there's like a configuration of the little stars somewhere that you can see it because Lauren who designed it is very smart. So it wouldn't surprise me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, if I was designing the cover, no, I'm kidding. It's a gorgeous cover. (laughs) Uh, and <laughs> I but I feel like that's also such a lovely metaphor. Not I don't even know if metaphor is the right word, but when you talk about how her orange peeling was sort of your own meditation and how that would stop mm. and be the only ritual in a day and you just like the yeah. orange peels falling and, and all of that and how you referenced that was, was really beautiful as well.
3: Oh thank you. That was a that was just a lovely moment to write. And I, you know, some things feel like you've just really got to express them and i was you know i was a little worried that it might seem insignificant or dowdy somehow but it there was a magic to that moment for me that uh, that seems to transmit that's what that's what's amazed me about the reception of it it seems to really transmit to other people when they read it and i i posted a video a couple of weeks ago on instagram of me peeling an orange oh my gosh and so many people on, in the comment the comments are beautiful but so many people remember their grandmother doing the same. And there's there's something about that generation and how they appreciated things that seemed so ordinary to us, but they, they obviously had a different meaning if you'd lived through the war, for example, in the UK and rationing. And you hadn't been able to have things like oranges for a very long time and, and then you get them back and they're they're actually quite magical little things in that sense.
0: Yeah. Don't you wonder like, who's the first person who was like, I think I'll take this off and see what's under here. Yes. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> I, humans just put their hands into everything. Yeah. they do. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I, I must say, I, I have to admit, I did not scroll back into your Instagram. I'm sorry. I only read the book, but um, now I have to go back <laughs> and, uh, and check out that video. But I feel like my grandmother didn't do that, but I feel like my vision of her is her sitting at her kitchen table, every afternoon, like scrolling through the TV guide. Back in the day, right. like she would always yeah, be like yeah. sitting there <laughs> flipping through to figure out what we're going to watch that night.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what my granddad had this beautiful habit that nearly made it into the book, but didn't quite. Um, which was that if if you went on holiday he would, did you used to get a CFAX, like the text service on, uh, on on TV? Like you'd, I don't know if you even got this. It was like the internet before the internet, but you pressed a button and you got text information. No. no. Oh, right. Okay. So this is a very British reference and you'll probably end up cutting this because it's too obscure. I'm going to get, <laughs> I'm gonna have to explain it really carefully. It was called CFAX or teletext. And you pushed a button on your TV, and you would get like the you could see the news. You could select a page. You could see the news. You could see the weather. You could see the sports results. It was all the kinds of things that grandads liked. And if uh, and you could also see all the flights landing in Gatwick. Huh. And so if you if we went on holiday, granddad would sit with the page open on the on the uh, information about when flights had landed, and wait till the information turned to landed from your plane being in flight. So when you got home, he'd say, I watched you land on the teletext. (laughs) It was lovely. It was so lovely because he was a former airman. So I think he was still thinking a lot about planes.
0: Oh, I love that. That is so sweet. (laughs) Little granddad. (laughs) He would have a field day with all the the aviation apps now.
3: (laughs) Oh, I can't imagine. Honestly, he would be be insane with the whole thing. He'd be so excited. Yes. (laughs)
0: I guess my grandmother would just be sitting there on the guide page and cable, you know, scrolling down. <laughs> oh, lovely. So what are you working on now? Are you writing anything new?
3: I'm just beginning to think about it. Like I I, I really, I need the the previous book to come out because I, there's a big thing for me is having conversations around the books actually and hearing how people perceive them and, and what meaning they make out of them. It, it all feels like a big exchange to me. And so I couldn't get anywhere until the first few people had started talking to me about the book. But I do I do have the seeds of an idea that I'm just beginning to draw up. But I'm also working on an audio book about the midwinter period. So I'm going back to winter, first of all. So that will be not this winter, but the next that that's coming out. So I'm, I'm still deep into, into winter, but this is like maybe a little bit of a mix between wintering and enchantment. Interesting. Maybe one day day we'll get to summer. We can always. Oh, I doubt it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm unkeen on summer. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Where's
0: your favorite place to write? Like, where do do you do you do you like go into some little nook in your home, or I don't know?
3: Tell me about that. Yeah. I'm I'm a very fidgety writer and I like to write in lots of different places and I, I think the place I write least of all is at my desk because I uh, it feels like work to me if I'm writing at my desk so I I write on the kitchen table I write on the sofa I write in bed I write in cafes I write in our little local co-working space which is I actually quite enjoy uh, even though it's a bit noisy that, that somehow sometimes helps to block out your conscious mind a bit I think Um, But yeah, I'm I'm very itinerant actually. And I I don't have very many sort of solid routines, but I do write best first thing in the morning. That's the one thing that's consistent to me that quite often if I'm trying to really get some progress made, I'll get up at 4.30 and I'll have a lot done by seven.
0: Wow. Mm. I love when I hear that. I, I don't
3: know. That's amazing. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not a night person though. I mean I, I hear loads of people that write very late and I can't imagine ever doing that. That's like the so far away from what I understand. Um but yeah, I'm definitely definitely an early morning person.
0: Yeah. At night I'm all about like intake, not output.
3: Um I'm all about <laughs> sleeping. Yeah.
0: I like to re- I read a lot at night and I watch things and I read things and that's it. But I can't like I can barely write a sentence although I write emails into all through the night <laughs> but in terms oh, of anything no, no, anything no. with any uh heft to it you know I don't
3: but oh I, yeah I mean I certainly couldn't make any sense but I'm I'm done for after eight o'clock I, you can't get any sense out of me at all after that point I'm just over as a person by then true
0: maybe if we didn't, <laughs> maybe if we didn't wake up at 4 30 we'd be in better shape at night
3: that's so, it. I mean, you you choose your end of the day, ultimately, don't hey, you? I, and mine is, de- is definitely the full 30 end, but I, I can't do both. I Some people can. I mean, my dad is extraordinary for that. He'll get up early and go to bed late and do four hours sleep and feel really refreshed. Um, And I I am not that person. No.
0: Um, is there anything <laughs> that's come out of your, you know, I want to say fame, but I feel like you'll poo-poo that, but, any, you know, any of your... your <laughs> the all the success that's come out of your your recent books which are so personal and so intimate Mm. and now so out there and I was just wondering if if it's shifted anything in you or anything's come out Mm. of it that you're surprised by or anything like that
3: yeah I'm surprised by the the fame bit really um I mean I'm not particularly well known in the UK still and that's just how I like it honestly but I yeah, I, I, as you discerned, I'm like quite uncomfortable with the idea of being well-known. It's not really what I'd seek out. And I love living a very quiet life and I never really wanted people to stop me in the street to talk about my book. But nevertheless, that now <laughs> happens. And I, <laughs> I got to a point in the pandemic when I think I was quite visible on the beach and uh, people were reading the book. And so many people stopped me in one day. That my husband took over and said, "I'm so sorry." She hates being spoken. She, you know, like she's intensely uncomfortable with this, and um, I, she, you know, sort of backed me away. because <laughs> so it was just like I couldn't say anything. I couldn't. I just didn't have any words left. Um, so yeah, that it takes a little getting used to, and and it takes a little getting used to learning how to deal with that with good grace and not to run away from people or to dismiss what they're saying you know by going oh no no you don't feel like that about my book don't be silly That's, you know yeah <laughs> um you, you have to learn how to take a compliment and and also you have you really have to learn your boundaries too because there's a lot of need out there and I'm not the right person to fulfill those needs so yeah the last three years have been a huge learning process for me and a huge adaptation without a doubt
0: I love this image of husband as handler <laughs>
3: Well, I would, you know, I I would just get to the stage where I was just kind of standing, stammering, looking like a rabbit in the headlights. And he'd be just like, okay, thanks very much. Catherine's delighted that you liked her book, but she's, she's really not great with people. which is
0: very true. (laughs) Well, Catherine, thank you so much. Thanks for this really fun conversation and yeah, for your beautiful books and words. And I can't wait to read absolutely everything you write going forward. And um, now I'll go back and scroll your
3: Instagram for a while and not read. Oh yeah, go and and look at oranges. Oh no, thank you so much. It's been so great to talk to you and just a really yeah fun conversation as always. Oh, thank you. All right, well, take care. See you later. Have a good afternoon. I know you'll be doing loads of busy things now, so. That's okay.
0: (laughs) This was such
3: a (laughs) time. All right. Bye, Catherine. Okay. See you later. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.